Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And today we have a returning guest. I'm very, I always love having uh, a guest come back uh, for a second, a third, a fourth, however many times we can get them and they're willing to come back. Uh, we don't want to bore them, but we uh, find that the program is uh, much more interesting when we continue to get um, the, the different perspectives uh, from our guests. Our guest today returning is uh, Christian James. And with us uh, last time, he was talking about uh, his latest book that was out, and that was uh, Building Our Main Street. And we're excited to have him back. Uh, it's it's nice to have you back uh, and uh, to uh, to talk more about not just that book, but also another book that you have that we're going to talk about here. Welcome. Thank you for having me again. I had a pleasure last time and I look forward to it this time. Yeah, it's, it's, this is, uh, t- for me, it's a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is maybe just to, to catch people up, those who haven't listened to, and I would highly recommend anytime you might be hearing on the radio broadcast, a returning guest, you go to the podcast and look for their previous uh, appearances on the program. So as to kind of get caught up. Uh, but uh, Christian, tell us a little bit about your background that led you to this first work about building our main street. And I really do like that concept that you came up with. Uh, sure. So building our main street was a, a book that I pretty much created or thought of um, or started building the pieces to when my father uh, surprisingly passed away. Um, we honestly we found him. I talked to him on Thursday. We found him on Saturday and my nephew's. Uh, on all were talking to their dad, my brother was like, yeah, my dad pulled me aside and said, I just kept saying, I hope he's not dead. I hope he's not dead. And I'm like, they don't really understand what that means. Right. They're like nine and 10 years old. And so I end up fast forward um, a year. I end up meeting my, my now wife and we were leaving Disneyland. And she looked at Main Street and she goes, you know, I really wish Main Street like retirement homes and stuff like that for the elderly. It was very much like Disney's Main Street where one is a movie. One room's a movie theater. You go into the next room. It's a candy store. You go to another room and, you know, it's just something different and fun for for them to go do. And I just came together with the idea of so when you pass away, you're always said your life flashes before your eyes. What if when you pass away, it's actually you go down your own personal main street that has your favorite places, memories, foods, you know, all sorts of things. And you get to experience it all over again before you cross over into whatever your personal belief or religion is of where you go after you pass away. Mm. Reminds me of a, a stand-up comedian, a stand-up a bit that uh, a comedian um uh, did uh, and and I, I I have the album on on reel to reel believe it or not, <laughs> uh, and um, um, and I'm trying to remember I, I had him um, he, he he's the guy that that that, that was that was always in 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 th- Woody Allen that's his name yeah and and he was showing everybody his. Uh, this pocket watch that his, his um, yeah, this is a pocket watch. His un- it was his uncle's pocket watch. And uh, <clears throat> he sold, uh, he sold uh, this pocket watch to me uh, on, on his deathbed. He, he was a very insignificant man, 
What are you going to do with the money that you just got from the pocket watch? I mean, you're dying. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's one of those things where we, you know, we, uh, Steve Martin said uh, in the 70s on one of his albums, you know, they say you can't take it with you. Well, I'm taking it with me. And uh, I, I find it interesting the different ways in which we seem to um, perceive what death and dying is or isn't. Uh, we don't really know. But what we do know is for those who go on before us, such as uh, uh, your father and uh, my eldest sister and other friends and family members that you and I both, you know, in our respective ways know, we're left here to sort of what pick up the pieces after they've gone, figure out, you know, what, what, what happened? What can I do? How do I get through this? What is it that I'm supposed to get through? You know, that kind of thing. But what makes it even more difficult is for the kids. And I know that's the reason, the main reason why you, you wrote this book was to help the kids to understand how much, how much truth, if you will, or I, I'm actually thinking of a different word because I know that your book is filled with truth, but how accurate or um, detailed do you get in this book, Building Our Main Street? So with the book itself, it's a story about a little girl that's lost her grandmother and her mom is with her, talking to her about her grandmother. So it's a way for her to teach her, her granddaughter and her daughter um, more about her. So it's like you see three different phases of the grandmother. You see her as the little girl herself, then as the mom, and then as the grandmother all in an ice cream shop. Also going dress shopping for, you know, her wedding dress and then going with her daughter for her wedding dress. Mm. And for the most part with the detail of the book, you know, it, we don't really mention the word, you know, death. I think when you and I discussed it last time, we had discussed uh, passing on. Transitioning. Uh, Yes. By the way, do not get into a conversation with Bernie Siegel, the do Dr. Bernie Siegel about that, because he will nail you to the wall with the word death or his wife did not transition. His wife died. OK, so with respect to Bernie, <laughs> I think it's a nicer way to uh, work into the conversation when you can use other words. I, I agree. And, and that's the thing, too. Right. So at the end of the book, you also see like over the shoulder of the daughter and the mom is actually the, the daughter, Nicole, her, her father, her father passed away when she just right after she was born, mm. you know, and again, it's to show that it's not just grandparents that, that can be lost. It can be, you know, a young child loses their, their parent at a young age. It could be a close friend. It could be a close relative. It could be a best friend. It could be, you know, these kinds of people. Cause I think that's the one thing is as a kid, like I never thought about death until my grandfather passed away when I was about 10, but it was the same scenario as with my dad. Um, I didn't really understand it. And then when I tried to get, you know, to talk to my dad, my grandfather to get to know him a little bit better, mm -hmm. all my dad was, uh, all my dad said was just know your grandfather loved you. And I just sat there and went, but I don't know him. I didn't really know him very well. Like mm. I only knew he would take me to the park or take us to Taco Bell. 
you know, I didn't know him as well as I did my other grandfather, where I would spend months with him in Chicago every summer, where, you know, I learned about him being in World War II and find out he's a minor league baseball player. And he worked in a factory for like 35 to 40 years, Chicago lock. So I think that's the biggest thing right there is with this book, I want families to be able to like open up about their past relatives and talk to so you get to know them because we have ancestry.com but who's better to tell you about your ancestor than somebody that was with them every day or saw them or spent all this time with them and actually knows their stories and knows their past um and also why not share these stories now while you're alive with your kids so that you get to know you better because i think one of the things that my wife and i have joked about we just had our baby girl abigail and one of the things we said is when she's a teenager, she's going to be like, you don't understand. <laughs> well, no, we do. We went through what you're, go- what you're going through and everything like that. So I would like to have be able to have these stories of, no, I do understand you. And this is how I understand you. Even though when I tell you, you're still probably going to roll your eyes at us and go, you just don't get it. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's them. It's them experiencing it now. Yeah, exactly. But being able to have these conversations, I think, is very important because, unfortunately, growing up with my dad, my dad was more of a closed off person. He I could go to him with stuff, but he didn't really tell me a whole lot of stories about him. So sadly, when I talked to my brothers, I found out that I'm the youngest and I think he he kept a lot from me um, that he opened up to with my with my brothers. Um, So I didn't get the. In, in regards to the closeness of getting to know him, I got to know him better because he was a military person and I joined the military. Hmm. So um, that was where we connected. But mm-hmm. he always, all he ever talked to me about was work, military, or the Chicago Bears or the Cubs. <laughs> the Bears. It. Yeah. And, but he wasn't even a Bears fan. He barely watched the game. <laughs> I would watch it so I could talk to him because I'm actually yeah. an Arizona Cardinals fan. But my family team is the Bears, but I follow both teams so I could talk to him about it, even though he didn't know anything about the team. Uh, a sidebar. Uh, you're a Cardinals fan. I am. I couldn't be a Cardinal. When the, when the Cardinals moved to Arizona and why they were the Arizona Cardinals as opposed to the Phoenix Cardinals, I still don't understand. But that's another story for another program. So I kind of like were the Phoenix Cardinals first, but they changed it. I, why? I don't know. But because they moved them to Glendale, so now they're not Phoenix. Uh, and the Glendale Cardinals just doesn't have the oomph, you know. <laughs> and yet you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks. Okay. Anyway, when they yeah. moved to Phoenix, correct. I season after season after season, I could not get behind them because they were always behind the eight ball. And they just couldn't win. They never, they had for the longest time, they did not have a winning season. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and I know they've been to the Super Bowl. I don't know. Have they won or have they only been to the Super Bowl? They've only been. The only time the Cardinals have ever won a championship was when they were the Chicago Cardinals. Ah. It was the Super Bowl. It was just like the NFC championship. And the Bidwells did not put a winning team on the field until they got that new stadium, University of Phoenix Stadium. Yeah. Um, and I know this because I was in Iraq in 2006 when that stadium opened and I had season tickets. And it was that's where Matt Leiner got tackled, broke his collarbone, and Kurt Ooh. Warner came in. And that's when they took him to the Super Bowl the following year because that yeah. year was the Bears season that they went to the Super Bowl um, after the 
I remember, I still remember I was in Iraq and the, and the Cardinals were up by like 24 points at halftime. And I went to bed and I go, they're going to lose. <laughs> and I woke up and I was correct. The bears came <laughs> back to win. And that's the year that they went to the, uh, that's the year the bears went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Colts. And then the Cardinals went to the Super Bowl the year next in 2008 and lost to the Steelers um, on a tippy toe catch. So the Cardinals have been to the Super Bowl twice, but haven't won yet. They've been to the Super Bowl once. Once. One time. Okay. One time, By the way, yeah. that is the most unusual slash unique stadium. I thought the Bob where the D-backs play was unusual. I mean, it looks on the outside like a giant warehouse. But yes. Man, is it spectacular on the inside. But the uh, you say the uh, the um, uh, University of Phoenix Stadium where the where the Cardinals play. It's a giant litter box that yep. they put grew grass in and it can slide in and out. And I just find that so fascinating. Yeah, they, they called it. They said it was supposed to look like a cactus. I said it looks like a giant UFO that landed there and they just decided to make it a football stadium. <laughs> and, 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 and they put it out in the middle of nowhere because they were building up near Luke Air Force Base and they thought it would be this great grand thing to get people to go there. Yeah, well. The Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes, I don't remember what they're called now, they actually just lost their lease to that ice rink out there because nobody was going. So now an NHL team has to use the ASU ice rink that only holds 5,000 people oh. because because uh, whatever America West Arena is now, I think it's U.S. Airways Arena, yeah. <laughs> um, they, will, they will not uh, lease out the, the stadium to the Coyotes to play. Yeah. See, this is the this is the bigger problem for me as they keep changing the names of the stadiums. I'm sorry, the Phoenix Suns play in AWA. All right. I don't care what other name you put on it. I don't care who buys it. I don't even, you know, it's the Bob, it's the AWA, it's the Madhouse on McDowell, where the Suns used to play when I was a kid growing up, uh, with Al McCoy doing the play by play uh, at at the Coliseum there at the uh, Arizona State Fairgrounds. Yeah, it looks like a Tupperware. A, Look, it looks like a Tupperware bowl that's been in the sun too long. Just a little too long, exactly. <laughs> but uh, and folks, I realize we've 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 gone off the rails <laughs> here just a little bit. But you know, it's hard not to when you've got uh, uh, two people who have an affinity uh, for some teams and have an awareness thereof. I uh, I have to say though that <clears throat> even though I'm living in Santa Barbara, California now. Uh, I love the fact that I can say, yes, I am from a World Series town. Mm -hmm. uh, the D-backs won it in 2001. Uh, my buddy, who has since passed away, always used to say it was a fluke because the Yankees were his team. And I'm going, uh-uh. They beat us three straight in New York. It was not a fluke. Although I'm still questioning. Um, I'm trying to remember who was the manager at that time for the D-backs. Buck Showalter. What was he thinking putting that guy in two nights in a row in New York. I, I still have oh. never understood that because when do you ever play a pitcher two nights in a row? I, I don't care if it's the world series. You, you it's just not, I just don't think it's, I, I don't know what the heck he was thinking, but so young, young Kim. Yeah. And he, and he choked both games because he was the closer. So they put yeah. him in to close, but he only had one pitch. He had a rising fastball and that's it. Um, well, it's kind of like the Cubs in 2016. Madden brought in Chapman in game six and seven and brought him in early both games. 
And that's why in game seven, I still say the Cubs won the World Series against the manager trying to ruin it. You know, I love Joe Madden. Thank you for bringing a World Series championship after 108 years. But the Cubs won it not because of you, because you brought in Chapman in game six when you had a giant lead and burned them out. And then game seven, he came in in the eighth inning. And like, I still, I was at my house and when he gave up that home run to Rajay Davis, I fell to the ground. Like my legs gave out <laughs> and I just looked up and went, Oh my God, this is how we're going to lose. <laughs> you know, we're going to go to the bottom of the ninth inning and we're going to lose. And, yeah. then, and then when they won in the bottom of the 10th, when they won in the 10th inning, I, I lost my mind. Just like when the Diamondbacks won in, in the ninth inning because of Gonzo. Yeah. Gonzo, what a, what a shot that was. It was, what was a bloop out into uh, uh right center. Uh, it just right out, right out of, uh, out of the infield there came down and, and it was over. Uh, and it was fantastic. And the only guy that you could really see, uh, in the crowd was Randy Johnson. He was the tallest guy of all, and he was the only one you could see, uh, amidst the, uh, the other players, but boy, that was exciting. I, I, uh, I will never forget that. I was watching it on TV, all, all seven games. Uh, and, um, so I'm, I'm, I can't, I, I just, Hey, I just feel good about that. I love baseball. I love the game. I uh, don't necessarily root for the D backs per se, but you turn on a ball game. I'll sit and watch it. Cause I just love watching these guys play. It's just, it's just great. Hey, we're talking to Christian James. Uh, yeah. We're talking a little sports here. I get that. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's part of the, uh, the love of this life that we live. It is uh, it, it is the most how can I put it? it's the most important, unimportant thing there is on this planet is sports. Right. But quite honestly, we do need it. We, we you know, we, we, we need, now I don't want to say distractions. Okay. I don't think that's what they are distractions necessarily, but it gives us an opportunity to in a safe way, in an appropriate way to sort of blow off steam. Now, when you and I say of our respective uh, favorite teams, if they won the, the series, we won the World Series. No, we didn't. They won it. You just happened to live in the town that they were playing in. We cheered them. Yeah. But we cheered them. We sent them our, our energy, so to speak. And that's kind of what we want to do with, with our kids and, and young adults and, and, and all family members and, and friends and so forth. When somebody passes, oh my lord, you do have the same hairstyle as me. I do, be, bald as you. Although your beard is is uh, not nearly as gray as mine, but uh, I guarantee you, it'll get there. Hey, we're talking with Christian James, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Christian James here to talk about his book. Uh, one of them, anyway, is. Uh, uh, building our main street. You have another one. Show me that tombstone again. That is a part of this other book that is uh, really appropriate because of the holiday that's coming up in October, Halloween. So this one's called All Hallows Eve in Salem. Um, so my wife and I are huge fans of Salem, Massachusetts, and I'm a huge fan of all the classic universal monsters like Frankenstein, Wolfman, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And so what I did was with, this was actually my first book. I self-published this originally before I got it picked up by a publisher. And pretty much the book is about all the monsters getting ready for, to go trick-or-treating and just showing that 
the town of Salem is just a town of acceptance and everybody coming together and, you know, nobody looking at them differently because they're different, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a big thing, especially, you know, I said during COVID and different things like that. Cause I wrote it. um, We, we had our honeymoon in Halloween of COVID and I ended up writing the book uh, when we got back, it was January of 2021. And I just, you know, I said, I think instead of pulling people apart, I want to try to bring people together. And, you know, I didn't initially push it out to publishers. I was like, you know, I'm just going to self-publish it because I've been, I've been told no a lot with a lot of my stories and, and um, we could not keep the book in stock because we, because I sell them all my, uh, I would sell these on my website mm-hmm. and I personalize and I hand sign every single book. Um, and I don't charge extra for that. I, it's just my way of saying thank you. And when I sent it to my publisher now, who is, um, it's called Spooky Inc. or AM Inc. Publishing. Uh, <laughs> he absolutely loved it. And funny enough, November 12th, I have the sequel coming out that I just, we just finished and I just turned in. And it's called Once Upon a Christmas Eve in Salem. Um, and I absolutely, I love this book for the sole purpose of, I'm a huge fan of Christmas movies. So throughout the entire book are little Easter eggs from a Christmas story or Home Alone or Die Hard. Because I know people think Die Hard is, is or is not a Christmas film. I'm sorry. It's a Christmas film, folks. It is. <laughs> and and so throughout the book, you know, I think it's one of the most beautifully il- illustrated things that, that I've seen. And um, the, I, I sent it to a few friends to proofread and to give me their thoughts. And they've all told me that they believe it's even my wife said, she goes, I think this is, this is my favorite. Um, I think this one's better than all Hallie's even Sailor. Now um, I don't know where you stand when it comes to um, the different philosophies. Uh, how, how are, what are your feelings, thoughts, etc., cetera, uh, about um, uh, demons and those kinds of things, monsters, obviously you're a big fan of the fictional characters, although you know, myth sometimes is closer to reality, you know, than than science fiction, although that's another area where science fiction, it was science fiction. It's now science fact. Jules Verne's. Uh, hey, we've been to the moon. So now it's science fact, not science fiction. But it's a great story nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also in terms of some of these other aspects uh, within the context, I like to call it of the metaphysical world mm-hmm. of, say, reincarnation and those kinds of things where loved ones might come back. But uh, let's, let's, let's delve into that first half there. You're, you're interested in all these monsters. Uh, but what about the aspect of, um, uh, of, of evil and that kind of stuff? Uh, uh, do, you know, how do you, how do you view that? Um, so I do believe in it. Um, I grew up watching The Exorcist. I was like seven or eight when I saw it. Funny enough, it didn't scare me. The first movie I ever saw that was a horror movie I remember seeing was Child's Play Lucky when I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly do believe in it. But I don't. It, it, it's one of those things that I, I've always said. I, I've I've seen ghosts. I've I've been I've been haunted a lot in my life. Um, and again, I tell people this. I'm like, you may not believe me, and that's perfectly fine because it's not your experience. Like. I've had a friend go, what if I told you, I don't believe your ghost stories. So I'm like, okay, I go, that's your choice. Like it's, mm-hmm. I was there. You weren't, you know, uh, you could just think I'm telling stories, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to evil things like that, I do believe it exists. I do believe it. 
can affect and harm people. Um, one of the things, so I'll tell you a story about my mom's house growing up. Uh, when we were leaving, one of the, one of the days my friend was leaving my house and we're going down the steps and she put her arm around me and I was like, oh, she's just, you know, being sweet, whatever. We get to the bottom of the steps, turn around, her face is just terrified. And I'm like, what happened? She goes, it felt like somebody pushed me. And my mom always told me that she believed that there was some kind, something bad at the top of the steps where she would get bad feelings from time to time. And come to find out the person that she pushed or got pushed turned out to not be the nicest person. Hmm. So, so it came, it kind of came to be of, huh, well, was it the person? Was it the spirit? Did she just trip? You know, did something just happen like that? Um, but when I was in Iraq, my dad used to tell me, my dad wasn't a big believer of anything spiritual or anything, but he told me, he goes, stuff would happen that was weird when you weren't here. Like they would leave my bedroom door open because they go put stuff in my room. And, and, the, and then all of a sudden they would hear my door slam or my TV would turn on and he would go turn on the TV and he'd be walking down the steps and he'd hear it turn back on again. And I go, well, why didn't you just unplug it? He goes, because then that would have really freaked me out. (laughs) He's like, imagine that I unplug your television and it turned back on. So that would be, yeah. So so I do believe in this stuff. um, But my firm, my thing too is, is when I do see something, um, I've seen sh- a shadow that's kind of followed me all through my life, um, from my house to my apartments and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I told, and my wife has seen it. Our dogs have actually seen the shadow walk by in our living room, like yeah. it walks by our door, and they all look at it, so it's noticeable. And my wife's like, "What do you think it is?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't acknowledge it because if it is something nefarious or not nice, I don't want to bring attention to it." Because that's how you actually bring attention to these things. And, you know, according to stories and whatnot, if it is something nefarious, that's how you would give it power, you know? I think that's kind of the point of just about anything in our lives. Uh, Working for a Christian station, as I did in the 80s and early 90s, I learned that that which you are looking for, you will find. And in this case, uh, they were, of course, uh, constantly, I, I always found this so frustrating. It's like they would, uh, anything that went bad in one's life, oh, that was the devil. Yeah. If anything good went good in your life, oh, well, that was God. It's like, what am I, a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces I don't understand? I'm not buying that one either. Yeah. You know? And yet, if I put my attention on the bad things, it's like you just said. Uh, and, uh, someone even said that to me about, we were talking about something totally different, but it was a concern of mine in my personal life and so forth. And she says, well, the more you think about it, the more you dwell on it, the more power you give it. Mm-hmm. So I stopped dwelling on it and the power went away. Yeah. It, it's very much, like I said, we're big fans of Salem because, you know, originally, you know, Salem is known for the Salem witch trials. People yeah. don't know that a hundred years later, it was the largest you know, import export of our country. Like it, you know, Parker brothers, the, the game uh, company actually got their start there. The, the clue house is actually a real life murder house in Salem. Really? Yes. Wow. And, and so, but nobody remembers that everybody just remembers the Salem witch trials, which was all based on hysteria. And it was all based on, you know, 
the fear, you know, it, it really started because of the fear of, of the Native Americans, because they thought they were bad. And so many thing, bad things were happening that oh, it has to be the devil. It's the devil doing this. And then, mm. you know, two little girls, you know, the thing, everybody reads the crucible and thinks that Abigail Williams was older. No, she was 11 years old. You have two girls, like 11 and nine years old, that get no attention. They're not allowed to play outside. But now they say something, and now they're getting the entire town's attention. Mm-hmm. So all the other girls start joining in. Like, it legitimately became like the Red Scare, but back in 1692. And it was all based on the devil and what God wants. And if you tried to accuse someone of being, you know, saying that the girls were lying, they all teamed up against you, and now you were a witch, and now they were going to, you know, hang you or throw you in prison. Or the the traditional way of testing whether you are a witch or not is to toss you in the lake, uh, and if you floated, you were a witch. If you drowned, you right. weren't a witch, but it wouldn't matter because you're dead. Um, my understanding, and you you would know this better than I because... Obviously, this is an area of uh, expertise on your part that the the reason why people accused the these women and girls of being witches is because of a mold of some sort that they were ingesting, but they didn't realize it that was causing them to hallucinate. Is that an accurate story or is that a myth? It's a myth. So I listened to a podcast called Sale in the Podcast that's run by Jeffrey. Uh, Lily and Sarah Black and they that was one of the things that they tackled and they said that it was something that was brought to their attention but it they go it, it wasn't true it's not it's not true uh, pretty much the the witch hysteria was started based on the this one girl that was really sick and they came to check on her and they're like oh it's witchcraft so initially they looked at Tichuba who was the, the pretty much the the house servant and uh, you know she was teaching them her ways, you know, her, mm-hmm. her religion. And they took that as witchcraft. And when Tichiba was arrested, she openly admitted it because she knew if she admitted it, they wouldn't, they wouldn't hang her. If they, if they did, uh, if she didn't admit to it. That's when they would hang her. Like if you admit you're a witch, you're going to live. Um, but what they ended up doing was the reason that they started allowing it more and more and more is so if they accuse you of being a witch and you say you're not, they can hang you and take your land. If they accuse oh. you of being a witch and you say, I am a witch, they're going to take your land. That's that's why Giles Corey, the guy that the only one that was pressed to death, they pressed him to death because they were trying to get a confession out of him of either guilty or not guilty. But he knew better. He knew he was 80. I think he was over 80 years old and they just kept putting rocks on him, rocks on him, rocks on him. To where the sheriff actually like put his tongue back in his mouth to tell him, you know, say you are or not. And supposedly the last words he ever said was more weight. And then they put more weight on him and that's what killed him. Um, That way his family, because he was very wealthy and well to do, uh, his kids wouldn't lose his land. Mm -hmm. Because again, if he would have said he was, he would have lost his land. If he said he wasn't, they were going to hang him and take his land. Well, so he figured he was at a point, obviously, where he was crushed to the extent that even if they removed all the rocks, regardless of, you know, his confession, his organs were probably crushed. So he figured 
I might as well just leave. I might as well just put more weight on there. Put more weight on there. Yeah, and it was over a two to three day period. He was oh naked. My. Be impressed. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, like he. Uh, see, that's the thing that a lot of people don't don't realize is, and and then the prisons that you were in, they shackled you, right? But you had to pay for it. What? Yeah, you had to pay for your prison. You had to pay for your shackles. You had to pay for your food. And if you couldn't pay for a bigger cell. Your cell was actually legitimately very tiny to where you were either standing the whole time or like imagine like when you were a kid and you were like kind of bent like a pretzel kind of like this. Yeah. Oh, my heavens. Because you had no room. So I always tell people, if you go to Salem, Massachusetts, make sure to go to the uh, the witch dungeon um because they show you they have like legitimate what the cells look like like the cells aren't there anymore mm-hmm. you know they got they got rid of it they got rid of the old um the old uh um uh, courthouse and all that but the witch the um the witch dungeon legitimately recre- has recreated what it looks like and it's just terrible like a lot of people actually died in prison now, 20 people technically died from 19 from hanging and one from being pressed, but <clears throat> there's others that got really sick in jail um, and died as well. So, wow, what a what a time to uh, I was going to say what a time to be living uh, or dying, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We're talking with Christian James. His latest work is uh, uh, building our main street. But we're also talking about uh, you said that was Christmas in Salem. Is that right? Uh, once upon a Christmas once Eve in Salem. A, once upon a Christmas in Salem. Uh, we're going to continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's really a pleasure to have Christian James back with us. I want to ask you to sort of give us your, and I'm not sure if there's a different one for each book or just in general for the work that you're doing. What is your mission statement? Uh, mission statement, honestly, is just bring families together and make them smile. Um, I, I grew up a big Halloween fan cause of my mom and then same with Christmas. Like I always say September 1st, October 31st, that's Halloween, even though I watch Halloween movies all year round, mm-hmm. but then November 1st till December 25th, it's all Christmas time. Like yeah. I legitimately do a flip. Um, I watch all the Christmas movies. Uh, my wife doesn't necessarily ones that I enjoy as much like the Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, but you know, those are, those are the movies that, that I grew up watching and loving. And like I said, with the once upon a Christmas Eve in Salem book, I have little Easter eggs from all my favorite Christmas movies all through it. Like I have one of the little ghouls that's in the, that's in the ropes mansion. He's wearing the bunny suit from a Christmas story. Um, I have little Nero's pizza from home alone. Um, and then my favorite that I had add was my artist. Um, we have the singing ghosts um doing singing carols and he's holding (laughs) up like a little tombstone for his music Mm -hmm. and on the tombstone it says hans gruber and i put um the the birth date of hans gruber and then his passing when he fell from nakatomi you know so uh, because again like i think that's one of my favorite you know things that people always discuss is die hard a christmas movie i believe it is and i made sure to add it in my book I used to collect, and I don't think I have them anymore, but then again, I could be wrong. I used to collect videos, videotape, uh, VHS versions of A Christmas Carol. 
Uh, mm. Going back to, I believe it was the 1934, which I think was the first, uh, first version, first okay. film of mm. uh, uh, A Christmas Carol, coming forward with uh, George C. Scott. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. I don't know if um, Patrick Stewart has done the character of Scrooge. Of course, I think Bill Murray was also in a version thereof. Scrooge. And, and several, yeah, Scrooge. And there were several other versions as well that I would just, uh, Alistair Cook, was he? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing out names now. But I just would collect them. I don't know. There was something about that story that was so profound to me. And I wanted to see just how different actors and different versions looked and what have you. But I would have to say, and probably a lot of people would say, that my my all-time favorite would be um, It's a Wonderful Life with okay. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, uh, because I, I would watch that, and at one certain point, and we all know what that point is, I would cry when he finally realized that he did matter. Mm -hmm. And then Clarence sent him back or let him go back to where he was originally before the dream, so to speak, the dream sequence, if you will. Um, but it is interesting uh, to, to take a look at some of these stories. I think there's another, um, who's the, who's the guy who did the um, animated uh, uh, Christmas tale. And it was sort of a horror uh, horror film. I can't, I, it's like, I'm seeing the guy's name, but I can't say it out. I, it's like, it's not coming. Um, but he, I think he did Beetlejuice. Oh, Michael Keaton. Uh, well, not Michael Keaton, oh, oh, but the director. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas. That's with, the one. Yep. With, uh, with, um, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. That's the one. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Of course, I also enjoyed Beetlejuice too. I mean, but they're just fun. They're just fun, uh, fun movies. They're not trying to scare anybody. They're just trying to tell a story. And, uh, I, but I think that's very cool that, that, and, in this day and age, when families are so split for a lot of different reasons, okay, which we won't get into here, okay, but for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know, folks are just having a heck of a time getting along with one another because they have differences of opinion. And I'll just share this real quick, uh, Christian. Yeah. My brother and I, back in April, had a very heart, a uh, very uh, vigorous, shall we say, conversation. That ended with the two of us agreeing, yeah, there are three, we kind of agreed on three different issues that needed to be dealt with. We didn't necessarily agree on how, but we agreed they needed to be dealt with. And I had made the decision halfway through the conversation, I'm not letting any of this stuff get between us. I didn't say this to him, but I, I, my, my mindset was, I don't care what he believes, what he thinks, what he professes, he's still my brother. And he will always be my brother. Mm -hmm. And I wish more people would take that perspective that, you know, yeah, all right. So you can't choose your relatives, but your relatives can be your friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, that's the thing. I think, I think you were talking about that. Like one of my biggest things. Um, so when I was on one of my missions, I had a conversation with one of my troops that, uh, and again, I had to deal with the, you know, not the president now, the prior president. Mm -hmm. And I would have conversations with him like, look, I will have an open conversation with you. But the moment you get mad at me, get upset with me, say anything negative, be mean. That's where we're done. 
I go, yeah. but I would love to be able to have these conversations. And I think one of the one of the biggest issues that we have is that everybody always says, don't talk about religion, politics, and sex usually is in there. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, why not? Like, why can't we have these discussions? That's why when when you express your opinion that's different than someone else's, they mm-hmm. get angry or they get mad or they feel like you're attacking them. And I and I always tell them, like, I'm not attacking you. I want to hear your point of view, and then I'm going to tell you my point of view. And then if it's something that can be based off of fact and you can actually show, here's the thing I always tell people when it comes to politics. You need to go to four different websites for the truth. Mm-hmm. You need to go to CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and OAN. When you go to those four websites, you will find your truth between all four of them because they all are leaning one mm-hmm. side. You just got to come to the middle. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so I know you're talking about like, you know, your favorite Christmas movie and everything. The reason that what honestly made me want to write kids books is I am a huge fan of the Polar Express. Oh, yeah. I love the book. I love the movie, even though a lot of people find it creepy. Um, but, <laughs> you know, the author also wrote Jumanji. And so in December of 19, my wife and I got to meet him. We went to the Grove in California. Oh, wow. And he signed a book for me and I looked at her and I go, cause he got to, he read the book to kids. Like he sat in a group of kids and I was like, I really want to be able to do this. I go, so I actually wrote a Christmas story. The first thing I ever wrote is a Christmas story. And I have an artist that's been working on it for a couple of years, um, but she's going to college. So it'll get done when it gets done. Mm-hmm. But then the second book I wrote was building our main street. And then in October, or sorry, January of 2021, Hollows even Salem. And then shortly thereafter, building our Rainbow Bridge. And then shortly after, Once Upon a Christmas, even Salem. I, I told my wife, I go, I think the reason that these books are just coming to me is because I'm doing it not for myself. I'm doing it for other people because the love and affection that, that was given to my All Hollows even Salem book when it came out, like people still message me and go, my kid, this is still their favorite book. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, really? And they go, yeah, my kid will pick this book out of every other book. And I, and I'll read it to them. They want me to read it to them six times before they go to bed. And I'm like, wow, really? And they go, you have no idea how great this book is. And I'm like, that means a lot. Cause yeah. you know, I wrote it and I didn't know if anybody would like it. And it's like building our main street. You know, people have told me, um, you know, this book means a lot and I'm just like, good. I I hope it helps you. I really, that's my goal. Um, one of my buddies recently just lost his grandmother and I didn't tell him that I was sending him a book. So I, I mailed him building our main street. And then I told you about the Drax. He wanted wanted one, but he hasn't been able to, you know, financially, he hasn't been able to buy one. So I just surprised him and he got it and he, he messaged me and he just goes, I got your package. And I just started crying because <laughs> I really needed kindness. And I told him, I go, that's all I, you know, that's, that's, that's all I want. I want yeah. you to be happy. Um, kids. And he goes, yeah. this is how I'm going to explain to them about their grandmother that just passed away. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Christian James, my guest, talking about uh, Once Upon a Christmas uh, in Salem, as well as uh, 
uh, the the uh, building our Main Street book that is his latest work, and the whole point of it is to bring us together, to bring us together as a community. We've got to work together to deal with, and I put it this way, Christian, to deal with the challenges that we have to deal with, and and we could sit here and list them off, but we all we all know what they are in our own personal lives, and I have to say. That, okay, I can appreciate people wanting to travel halfway across the country or all the way across the country to do their uh, their marching and their protesting and their yelling and screaming and so on and so forth. Okay, that, and you have got every right. But how are you helping your hometown community, your own neighborhood? I, I have to tell you that I am so glad that my parents uh, decided to have a big family. This was their plan. It was, None of us were accidents. They planned to have a big family, maybe not necessarily six, but then again, maybe they did. And uh, they raised us in such a way that the whole point of our lives was to share not just love, but just the word you just used to spread kindness, to be kind, even when people weren't kind to us. And quite honestly, is that to me is uh, is extremely, extremely important. You are listening to uh, Christian James and yours truly, Richard Dugan. And this is Tell Me Your Story. We are uh, talking with uh, Christian James about his work and his book. Uh, the website, for those of you who are uh, definitely interested, and I know that you are, because uh, you're listening to this program and you find it fascinating. So I'm going to tell you that the world, the world of Christian James, I like that. The world of Christian James.com. Uh, That's the website. The world of Christian James.com is the website. And what can parents do? Uh, what can parents say to console their young children uh, when a close relative or friend dies? Well, Maybe you don't have to say anything right away. Maybe get a copy of Building Our Main Street, read that to them, and then answer any questions honestly with them. I think, I, I remember, I think I was seven when my grandmother passed. Uh, although there's a part of me that thinks it, it wasn't that early because her husband passed before she did. And I was in my teens. So obviously there's some uh, there's something amiss here in my in my chronological in my chronology, in, in that file, apparently, but I was actually asked to leave the church because I was so, I was, I was so upset because uh, my grandmother meant a great deal to me. But uh, one of the things that I would like for you to talk a little bit about before we uh, end up having to wrap things up is uh, how your view, not only of, uh, uh, of where we go when we leave the body, uh, but also of how you have how your views of death and dying and we'll go ahead and use those here because bernie's not here um <laughs> uh how your views have changed over the years sure so i personally believe so i'm a christian i got baptized back in august of 2002 um so i believe that you know when i pass away my main street will be filled with my family, friends and everything like that. And when I get at the end of my main street, you know, that's where my dad's going to be waiting for me. My dog, Cubby, um, my grandparents, you know, my, some of my, the friends that I've lost and we're all going to go to their, you know, I guess technically judgment. Right. Um, but then I'm going to go to heaven. I know plenty of people that 
believe in reincarnation. I've always joked that maybe the light at the end of the tunnel that you see when you die is actually you just being reborn, you know. Um, but when it comes to death in that regard is how my, how my viewpoint has changed. So back in, uh, January of 21 and January of 22, um, I got activated to work at a coroner's office, one in Riverside and one in LA County. And it's an experience. Like I, I, I commend those people that do that every day. I commend doctors every day that have to, you know, that unfortunately see people pass away, you know, the, the coroner's transporters that go, have to go pick up the decedents and bring them to the coroner's office. And I told my wife, I go, there were days where I'm writing these books or trying to get this stuff done or, you know, working with my publisher. And I'm not gonna lie. There were days where I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm going to be, I'm going to die. Like they, they did. Mm -hmm. What is, you know, is there a point? And the point is this, my point in my life. And I think most people's lives should be to help other people. Mm -hmm. And I can't go around, you know, saving people every day. Like, you know, Superman does, or, you know, like the flash and all those Spider-Man and that, what I can do is hopefully bring some happiness and joy to families that need it. Like, you know, with my books and, yeah. you know, I, I, I kept showing you the, the coffin of Drac, but mm -hmm. Drac himself is another thing that I created. <laughs> to, I'm going to take him it. out real quick um, that I created to make people happy because, you know, people have elf on a shelf for Christmas, but he doesn't bend. Right. Right. My Drac has wire all through him. So he can oh. hang upside down. He can hold <laughs> five pounds. And I came up with him working at the coroner's office because I, I kept having an idea. I'm like, why, why, why can't we have something fun for kids for Halloween? So, and, and the other thing too about the, 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 um, the elf is the kids can't touch him. If the kids touch him, he loses his power and can't go back to the North Pole to tell Santa how good they've been. Oh yeah. So my goal with drag again is again, I can't fly and make people happy and save them or do that kind of thing. But what I could do is create something to bring joy and happiness to kids. And so my goal for October is for drag to cause mischief and havoc and a little bit of fun. So when the kids wake up in the morning, you know, if it's a school day, they just have to find it. Right. And they need to make sure to put him back in his coffin so he rests for the night so he can be come back out. But on weekends, you know, hopefully the kids will wake up and he'll be carving a pumpkin and now they get to join him and have fun. Or, you know, he's coloring, you know, uh, some kind of fun little coloring book. Now they, they get to join in. And again, at the end of it, they get to, you know, they can take him and hold him while they're doing it. They can hang him upside down. Um, or they can put him in his coffin, but they're allowed to actually physically touch him. And he's super soft. And my wife, I go, I think I was brought here, born here to create things for kids to have fun with, because I'm a kid at heart. Like before yeah. Disney skyrocketed the price to annual passes, you know, I had the top pass. I would go frequently. Um, I would take my, my friends from Arizona would come visit me and I, their tour guide and take them to disney and like this is how crazy it was i worked nights i'd work from 10 o'clock at night till seven in the morning get off shift at seven in the morning pick them up take for open and leave at midnight 
Mm. And we'd have both parks done. Oh, like, wow. All the rides, because I knew exactly how to work the fast pass system and get there. <laughs> and I would and I would take two naps. <laughs> I would take a nap during the Aladdin play, and I would take a nap during the Nemo ride. And I had them perfectly placed to where I could get a 15 to 30 minute nap. But my one thing I said to them was, you have to drive me home. Because <laughs> I will not. <laughs> so as soon as I get in the car, I would blink. And I'd be back in my apartment with my friends because I was just so tired. Yeah. But like, I'm a kid at heart. Like I, you know, I told you my dad was a military member and he used to make fun of me because uh, he's like, look at my grown son with the Disney pass, always at Disney, always at universal, blah, 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 blah. Um, but at the end of the day, before he passed, he told me, he goes, I'm actually kind of jealous of the fact that this is who you are and how you are. And, you know, he goes, and he told me he was really proud of me and I wish he would have been around to see the books and things I've created. But I also know that he's here supporting me, even mm -hmm. if I can't physically see him. Yeah. Well, I will uh, add a couple of more uh, young ladies who are also huge, huge Disneyland fans. And they are my two nieces, uh, my sister Cecilia's uh, uh, daughters, Gabrielle and Danielle. I don't know how many times they go to Disneyland, but I know it's more than once a year and they just love it. They absolutely have a blast. They've yeah. never invited me to go with them, but that's okay. <laughs> See, I love Disney, but I, I, I try to go every year to Disney world. Now I'm not going to be able to go this year because Abigail's, you know, very young. Yeah. Um, and we're big and we're big wrestling nerds and we're going to go to wrestle. My birthday's April 1st. That's night one of WrestleMania here in LA. So I'll be going to WrestleMania instead. Oh, really? But, yeah. So, but my, my goal is um, hopefully the next time that WrestleMania is in Orlando, which tends to be every three or four years, um, Abigail will be three or four or five and right. we'll be able to take her for her first trip to Disney world. Um, <laughs> Cause like you said, like I, we're taking, we took her in July for my book release, um, mm -hmm. but we're actually going to take her for family time um, in October. And we got our little mini dress and, and we're going to take her on Dumbo. And, oh. you know, like I want, I want to have the memories with her that unfortunately I didn't really have as a kid because I grew up in Gilbert, Arizona. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't a whole lot in Gilbert back then either. Corn and cotton. and <laughs> Corn, you see, folks, and... I know, I know. <laughs> yes. so, uh, Gila, Bend, Gila Bend was no different. Nope. And uh, so that's the thing, right? Like, I want to, I, I can't wait to take her to to those places. Um, yeah. And if Disney would ever lower the prices of their annual passes again, I, I would like to get, you know, even a lower tier one. That way, when I'm off on Fridays or whatever, I can, I can take her. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Disney needs to make their money back, I guess. So, well, you know, you, you know, it's kind of the uh, the capitalist way. You know, you, you're, that's what the whole thing is about from that standpoint uh, is, uh, you know, making money, but hopefully making money to uh, add new rides, new attractions, you know, that kind of thing. And maybe even create some new characters, lovable characters, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know if Disney made these movies, but I have always loved the Ice Age series. Uh, with with uh, Sid Fid the Sloth, uh, John Leguizamo does the voice, and yep. I, oh, it's fabulous! I just love it. But uh, great stories. I hope one day 
that that little, I don't even know what it is, squirrel or what have you, eventually gets the acorn uh, yes. because he never gets it in any of the movies from what I understand. Yeah, his name is Scrat, S-C-R-A-T. Scrat, okay. Yep. And he, uh, so initially it was Fox, but Disney bought Fox, so now it's officially Disney. So Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, there's a chance that you may get it. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to see... Uh, uh, Sid the Sloth walking the, the main street of Disneyland. That would be kind of fun. Uh, the last time I was there was, it has to have been 10 years ago with my wife. Mm. And I want to say, yeah, we had to have driven down there. And uh, we actually bounced back and forth between the two parks, America, uh, the Great American Adventure and Disneyland. And uh, went on rides over here. Then we went back to the other park and did some rides and, and so forth. It was kind of fun. You know, I'm not sure... Uh, what my level of stamina is? Will I need to get a room at the Disney Hotel for the night, or uh, or what? Because I'm not going to want to drive back. That's for sure. Because that's yeah. got to be exhausting, even for the kids, even for the little kids. It's it's it, you got to wear them out. Yeah, we got a hotel room for the night that we're going. Um, just for so so Abby, we could take her back for a nap and then mm -hmm. bring her back to spend the evening with our family, and then not have to worry about driving home. Um, but I was going to tell you, you're talking about Scrat and like all that stuff. If you get, if you go on Disney plus, mm -hmm. they have a whole new five minute like series of him and oh. he has like a little baby. He found like a little baby just <laughs> like him. And now they're fighting over the acorn. It's really cute. Oh my goodness. Uh, and of course the minions, those are fun little characters too. Yes. And that's universal studios and they right. have a, they have a ride there. Um, I still haven't seen the new minions, the rise of Gru. But uh, I'm waiting for it to come out on uh, Peacock so I can. I can. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not uh, in a big hurry to see these movies, uh, these big blockbusters like a Top Gun uh, Maverick. I'll wait until it's available on Netflix or Hulu, oh. uh, something so, like that, that I'm already paying for. Yes, it'll be out on Paramount Plus. It just got released. It'll, I think it's going to be available to stream in like 30 to 45 days. And I'm not going to lie, I went and saw it in IMAX, mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. Like, my my prior career before I became an officer in the military was was actually as an instructor for um, for aircraft. Oh. And so the stuff that he's training and, and that kind of thing that they're doing mm -hmm. is actually stuff, not to the extent of the craziness that they did, but that is actually the training that I, that I gave. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting there watching the movie going, it's accurate. It's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, as of our conversation, I um, uh, had the opportunity to fly from Santa Barbara to Camarillo for the Camarillo Air Show. Oh, awesome. And it was in uh, what they call an RV-7 experimental plane. My buddy calls it the bottle rocket. And um, we've used autopilot on the way over because of the marine layer. It was... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, we had to get up above, uh, I think, up to three, two, 2,500 to 3,000 feet and uh, fly over it. And so he just put it on autopilot, and then he let me fly it home. And that was a lot of fun. He almost let me land it. But for some reason, the runway looked extremely wide. And it turns out, obviously, it was two runways side by side. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to go down the middle which not is not where you want to put the plane. Anyway, I, it was a blast. And the planes that we saw there, the, the Russian MiG and a, a Japanese Zero, uh, a bunch of a, a B-17. There was a C, C, was a C-10 or C-13. I forget which. Anyways. Uh, was it a C-130? 
G1, it was uh, not a 130. No, okay. uh, it was it was four jet engines on this huge cargo plane, but it wasn't okay. a C-130 or something, uh, a lower number. It was like a C-13 or 17 or something like that. It was only two numbers. C-17, C-17. C-17, that was it. And uh, I actually have a video. Maybe I'll post it. Um, when we got there, we landed and we were rolling the uh, bottle rocket into position. He'd been there the day before. And they allowed him to roll his plane underneath engine number four of that C-17. No problem. No yeah. one said a word. Sunday, we roll in and we're pushing that thing back. And uh, he's pushing it back. I'm doing the video. And all of a sudden, this, this older guy comes up. He's one of the volunteers running the place. Don't you park that plane under another. You never park a plane under a plane. And, and it just went off on these guys. And my buddy says, oh, well, wait a minute. We did this yesterday. And they said there was no problem. I mean, if you want us to move it, we'll move it. We won't park it there. You know, we're not, he's not there to create problems. But this guy just went off and I'm going, whoa, boy, you know, calm down, buddy. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, I certainly can understand from a logic, a logistical standpoint, why you wouldn't want to park a pl one plane underneath another, even right. if it fit. Uh, but at the same time, you're talking about an air show. This C-17 isn't going anywhere, not for a while, uh, and so on and so forth. But um, it was a great show. And I have to tell you that the opening and closing ceremonies uh, of the Camarillo air show, and it probably is the same for most, uh, they do a flyover uh, for the opening ceremonies. And uh, a gentleman jumps out of a, a perfectly good airplane with a parachute uh, with the American flag as they play the Nash, sing the national anthem. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the air show, they play taps and they fly over with the missing man formation. Mm -hmm. uh, not only moving, it's just spectacular, just spectacular. So um, I tell you, folks, if you get a chance to go to an air show, do it. I don't care where it is. I remember going back in Phoenix. I think it might have been to Deer Valley. I don't think we went as far as uh, Luke Air Force Base. And uh, what I do remember was the Blue Angels and the mm -hmm. way they flew. And I was talking with a gentleman who's been, uh, he's a Vietnam vet, and he knows all kinds of people, and he knows all kinds of information. I says, do the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds, and I mean the actual planes, have they ever or could they ever see combat? He says, they've never seen combat, but it would only take a day or so for them to be converted to go into combat. Yeah. Although I would be very scared if I was on the ground and these brightly painted <laughs> aircraft came flying over my town. Um, you know, I would hope they would give me a warning shot to get out of the way because, uh, you know, that would not be a real, really a, a great uh, a way to, um, uh, to be introduced to them, but, Oh, just a spectacular uh, uh, when, when you go to air shows and the helicopters, they even had classic cars there. I thought that was an interesting little twist to this particular air show. They had a little parade with all kinds of cars going back to the, I think they even had one going back to the thirties and they were mm. all beautifully, beautifully restored. Just fabulous. Um, Christian, we are just about out of time here, but what I wanted to uh, ask you is now you say uh, you've got another book uh, that's coming out. Um, probably closer to the end of this year. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so November 12th, uh, Once Upon a Christmas Eve in Salem will be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and then next summer, I haven't officially gotten the release date 
uh, but building our rainbow bridge, we talked about it briefly on the last time we spoke um, about uh, losing your pet, uh, losing your pets, you know, your fur friends oh, or, yeah. snake or scaly friends. Um, but I don't have a release date for that one yet. You know, we talked about audible. These books would not do well in audible format, but they would be great animated shorts. Yes. So I actually wrote a script for all Hallows Eve in Salem, um, where pretty much I take all my characters and it would be a cartoon Halloween special very much in the, in, in the way of, uh, you know, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. And, uh, I've been in talks with, uh, my wife who, you know, works at a school about a scene if her, her, uh, her friends would want to help out and see if we can't get it made and then see if we can't shop it. So I have it, I have it written. Um, and I think it would do really well. And so that's my goal. Like I have a lot of plans for things and I, if we can make it happen, I'm, I, I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. I know the feeling I've got lots of plans for a lot of things myself and there's only so much time in a day and you yep. just take it one step at a time. And if you can hand it off to somebody to sort of take care of little details here and there, I mean, it's amazing. You don't have to contact Disney or Pixar or some of these other uh, animation shops, uh, huge things that put out all these great movies and cartoons. They've got the technology now. You can do it right on your computer. It's just yep. absolutely amazing. And I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have gotten a chance to know you and, 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 and hear about not only you, the work that you're doing, but your family as well. And um you know, I think that you're raising your kids the way my parents raised theirs uh, to to be kind to people, uh, whether they're kind to you. Um, although if that's the case, I would kind of move away from them. But <laughs> uh, but maybe get one of those books of yours, uh, build building uh, uh, your our main street or once upon a time uh, once upon a time at Christmas in Salem. I believe that's the title there, as well as uh, building our building our uh, rainbow bridge, right? Yes, that's coming out uh, not too long from now. We hope, and um, you know, also go to his website, which is where uh, is it? The world of uh, no, it's just worldofchristianjames.com. Worldofchristianjames.com, folks. We'll be linked as always to our guest website. We certainly hope that you will uh, avail yourselves of uh, of that link. Uh, we are uh, talking with Christian James, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, we're wrapping things up here on the program to talk to talking with Christian James about the work that he's doing at worldofchristianjames.com, where you can find out about uh, the books that he has available and the work he's doing. And, and again, uh, that mission statement that you talked about earlier in the program. I want to go ahead, and even though it's not been that long since we've talked, uh, I always like to ask these three questions of my guests no matter how, how many times they've appeared on this program, because sometimes the answers answers change. Uh, so uh, with that being said, uh, I will uh, forego all of the details of uh, this program and where you can hear it and when and, and all of the other great things that we hope that you are already aware of, folks. And just start with um, who is Christian James? Uh, Christian James is a father and a husband and just an overall kid at heart who has made some, I always say joining the military was the best dumb decision I ever made at 18. And it, it afforded me the ability to, you know, meet my wife, meet and have our little girl and see the world. And, you know, just gives me the opportunity to be where I'm at, where I'm at today. Cause I don't know where I would be if I 
didn't make that decision when I was 18. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Uh, the work right now, honestly, is to hopefully inspire others to reach out and help others, uh, whether it's writing a kid's book or helping at a shelter, or, you know, maybe even adopting kids or fostering children, you know, to be there for them, to help them grow or just being a mentor. I, I think that's one of my biggest things is my wife and I have discussed it, too, that possibly adopting in the future because, you know, there's kids out there that need homes and need loving parents and loving families. And if we can, if we can, if we can provide that, you know, why not? Well, sounds like you make a great team. Final question. What is your life's purpose? I think my life's purpose is to be the best father and husband I can be best friend. I can be to my friends and just hopefully inspire people to, to be, because I'm not perfect. I mean, there's times where I've probably done things I shouldn't have or said things I shouldn't have, but learn from mistakes, be humble, and uh, just try to be better each day. Well, Christian, thank you again for giving us so much time away from your family. Uh, we're fortunately on the same time zone, so it's not too bad. I'm uh, going to go grab some dinner myself uh, as far as the recording of this program is taking place uh, and uh, just relax and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy uh, my family uh, of animals as well as my wife and uh, and just uh, continue that uh, message of being kind. So folks, uh, please go to worldofchristianjames.com uh, and uh, please uh, avail yourselves of the work that he's doing uh, to help uh, your family, your friends, your children, maybe even yourself better understand um, what's happening when when we lose. I have to tell you, this year has been rough for me from the standpoint of uh, the number of people that I have known personally and closely who are no longer with us. And um, that process, interestingly and strangely enough, is a part of life. So with that all being said, we'll wrap things up. I thank you folks for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.